Look with me, please, in Romans chapter 7, verse number 19. Romans chapter 7, verse number 19. The Bible says, For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not do. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, he's had enough. By the time he gets to this verse, he's had enough, and he just burst and says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. If you can relate a little or a lot, say amen. So let's look at Romans chapter 7. Some theologians, that's a strong word right there. I don't know if there is such a thing as a theologian. You're claiming a little bit of mastery, and I I have the highest respect for someone who devotes themselves to a trade, a skill set, certainly the Word of God. I have the highest respect for that, but this is such an unsearchable, unfathomable gold mine of information on an intellectual level and then deep spiritual truth on a spiritual level that to to claim any level of expertise seems foolhardy to me. But there are theologians who argue, and and not not, not in a prideful way, they literally look at Romans 6 and 7 and they say, this is what Paul was going through before he got saved. And then when he met Jesus in Acts chapter 9 on the road, I always want to say Emmaus, the road to Damascus, when he met Jesus, that's where he he found victory. Let me tell you something. Read about Paul before he got saved. He wasn't struggling. Paul was confident that he was doing the right thing. He thought by killing Christians, he was serving the Lord. So if there, and I don't see some two-week, two-month, two-year period of conviction of sin. And you've got, I believe in the drawing of the Holy Spirit, a conviction of sin, not refuting any of that. I don't see some long, drawn-out battle in Paul's life. He's on the road. Uh, everybody preaches him on a donkey. My pastor said, you better read that passage again. You're, gonna, you're not going to find a donkey. Everybody says he fell off his donkey and and cried out, what shall I do? Dad went to one young preacher one day and he said, where's that donkey? Okay, it it doesn't matter. Say amen right there, okay? But uh, we're ranges and we like to be right. And he said, where's that donkey in Acts chapter 9? And he said, right, 
There ain't no donkey, Brother Ains. Dad said, you're not doing any harm to the Scripture, he said, but if God didn't say there's a donkey, I wouldn't put one in there. <laughs> okay, so, so I tell you, Paul's just... I was about to say riding along, okay? Okay, but Paul's just going down the road however he went down the road and the voice and the light and all this and he just falls, he, he, he falls out. <laughs> he, he falls right there and surrenders to God, okay? Now, I'm not making light of anybody who had a long battle in coming to the Lord, but here's my problem. Sometimes if, if you hear the gospel and trust Jesus, Brother PJ, in a, in a span of about 15 minutes from start to finish, every now and then you, you'll hear a, a message and some testimonies that make you think if you didn't go through the two-year, 20-year long battle, you didn't get born again. That happened to me. We had a brother at camp meeting, wonderful man of God, and he preached, I think he was 14 when he said he got saved, and he's preaching, and, and he talked about how long he couldn't sleep and how long he couldn't eat and how long the Lord dealt with him. And, and I'll, I'm just being honest. We've all told about the, the lying devil this morning. I'll give my testimony. I sat there, and I said, that didn't happen to me. I must not be saved. And here's what the Holy Ghost said. He said, son, he could have got saved two weeks earlier than he did. Y'all don't miss that. He said, if he went two weeks or two months, however long it was, and couldn't sleep, eat, or, or whatever, he said, that was his fault. I drew him. All he had to do was respond and say yes to God. Okay? So all that being said, I said, even if you had to go through some battle like that to get to Jesus, I still don't believe Romans 6 and Romans 7 is talking about Paul's lost journey. He is talking about that inward battle that goes on after you're saved. And, and, and let me tell you, after that euphoria and that younger stage of just how wonderful it is to be saved, you're going to wake up one morning and realize there's a battle going on inside of you that was not going on before you got saved. Okay, Miss Brenda, you testified this morning when I was studying for this message, I don't know if it was two years ago or 10, you stood right there and testified and you read those verses that I just read in, in Romans 7 and the verses before that where Paul said, what I would do, I don't do, what I wouldn't do, I do, and, and all that. And, and she stood there and she kind of gritted her teeth and she said, that's me. She's been saved and loving Jesus a very long time. There's a battle. And buddy, it, it, it wears on people. It wears on their mind. So let me show you where the Lord led me today to, for us. Look in 21, 22, and 23. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That's the new man, after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. As I read and prayed and meditated and would listen, I just, I just on and on, that those three verses, and I believe there's three laws in there, kept jumping off the page at me. So today's message, we're still in this series, 
Uh, today's message is simply three laws. Look at verse number 21. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. So number one, there's a law. And, and let me be real clear right up here at the beginning. The word law in these verses is not referring to the Mosaic law. It is certainly not referring to a legal law. It's, it's a principle, uh, the, the law of gravity, right? Nobody enforces the law of gravity. Nobody has to. <laughs> if you step wrong on the ladder, the law of gravity kicks in. No police officer has to say you're against the law. No, you're going down, okay? So that's what this law is. And here's the law, and it's a law your preacher is being real transparent right here. It's a law that confuses me. And here it is, Brother Paul. When I would do good, evil is present with me. I promise you there are people listening to me this morning. You've got around stronger Christians. You've got around more serious and sincere Christians. And you made up your mind Let's do a carnal illustration. You're a mediocre musician. You're a mediocre ball player. You're a mediocre welder. Okay? Whatever. And you get around somebody who's better than you, and you're like, man, I thought I was doing all right. I want to, I want to improve. I don't understand people who don't want to improve. That's free counsel right there. Okay? I don't understand people who think they know it all. Nobody knows it all. Two masters in any of those fields I just said could get together and be a help to each other. So th that was totally free, Caleb, but it'll help you way on down the road, okay? But you get around people that are just, man, you thought you had a prayer life. You thought you were a student of the Word. You thought you were a witness. And, man, they've they just taken it to a new level with a humble spirit, not a prideful spirit. And you say, that's what I want to be. And, buddy, you start taking those steps, and guess what? There's an enemy. You want to do something that's good. You, you want to clean up. You want to reach out. You want to take a step forward for God. And, buddy, there was an enemy. He liked it when you were complacent. He liked it when you were at ease in Zion, is what the Bible says. And now you've made up your mind. You want to go further with God. And, buddy, that enemy rears up his ugly head and growls. And, and let me tell you something. Why, well, you say, why didn't I have those problems? If a lost person was listening to me right now and, and they said, man, I'm trying to do better and I'm not going through what the preacher's talking about. The devil loves it when a lost person makes up his mind he's going to do better because you just dig in a deeper hole of your self-deception. But, buddy, when you've got a hunger for God and you want to go somewhere with God, the enemy is going to give you fits. That is a law that confuses my natural mind. All I want to do is live for Jesus. Here's what I want to say. Devil, go to 7th Avenue and bother a dope addict. Here's the, the devil's answer to that. I already got him. I want to hinder a Christian. I want to hinder a Christian family. I want to destroy a Bible-believing church, not a liberal one. They're doing my bidding. I, I want a church that's trying to stand for something and trying to spread the gospel around the world. So it is a law that confuses me. Look in verse number 22. For I delight in the law of God after 
the inward man. This is a law that confirms me. Don't miss this one. A lost man, he may go to the Word because he has heard a preacher or had a praying mom or daddy or was brought to church as a young person with his parents or grandparents or an aunt or an uncle. A lost person may go looking for answers, but that's all they can do is look for answers. That's not what I'm talking about here. When he said in verse number 22, I delight in the law of God, look at that word delight. It's used one time in your Bible. Now, you might be thinking, oh, no, Brother Ains, I've heard delight more than... The word translated delight here, it's the only time it's used anywhere in your Bible. And here's what it means, to find satisfaction. So look at verse 22 again. For I find satisfaction in the law of God after the inward man. Your preacher wants to ask you a question this morning. Where do you find your satisfaction? When the enemy is attacking you, when life falls apart, when the foundations are destroyed, the Bible says, what are the righteous going to do? When those moments come into our life, where do you find lasting satisfaction? I've used the illustration before. I believe it'll fit here. If the men and boys are here and we're working on the property and, and we had to clean up a tree uh, last winter, if, if we're here and we're doing work and uh, Caleb or Zephaniah get hurt, okay, who are they running to? Their daddy. I can stand there with a first aid kit and open arms and the biggest heart this side of the Mississippi, they're going to pass me like a freight train passing a hobo and they're running to daddy. Okay, you follow me? When you need satisfaction, who are you running to? You want to know why people we love, Miss Penny, keep running to the world? Something's deeply missing in their life and they're running to where they have found temporary satisfaction at best. The pills, the bottle, the illicit relationships, all the things that the enemy tries to tempt us to run to, that is an indication. I'm not saying a saved person can't backslide. Peter tells us you can get so bad off you don't even know if you're saved. Let me tell you something, that is way more rare than we want to believe. It's not common. And so I want to ask everybody in this room this morning, where do you find satisfaction? Go with me to um, Psalm 17. Hold your place because we're coming back to Romans. Psalm 17. Oh, I love this verse. Look at what David wrote. As for me... I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be, say the word, would you, church? Are you there? Psalm 17, Psalm 17, 15. I shall be satisfied when I awake with what? Thy likeness. We don't sing it. I, I don't think there's any reason that we don't. Is, is it, I'm feeling like it's 381, but that, that could be, I could be way off. I'll be satisfied in the red book. When my soul is singing in the promised land above, I'll be satisfied, okay? David, 
thousands of years before Paul wrote the book of Romans said, when I'm in the likeness of Christ, that's when I'm going to be satisfied. He didn't word it the way Paul did, but David is telling people, he said, there's a battle going on inside of me. Do we know David's battles? Yeah. He succumbed to the lust of the flesh. Do you know which sin is pretty much... I mean, he, in my, uh, it's debatable, certainly. He got in as much trouble. Let me say it that way. He got in as much trouble for numbering the people. Study it. That is powerful. The repercussions. I know his family was devastated by his personal sin of adultery. I understand that. But let me tell you something. As far as widespread devastation, it was worse for number. What sin was that? The pride of life. Nothing more, nothing less. He said, number my people. And God said, I don't want you numbering your people. Joab, who had his own issues said, David, don't do this. And he said, I told you, get out there and number them. Joab didn't even count all of them because he was so grieved at that instruction. That My point is, David had an inner struggle going on in him. And he said in Psalm, that, look at the heading on Psalm 17. What does it say? A prayer of David. It's David pouring his heart out before God. And Brother David, he said, when I'm like you, is when I'm going to be satisfied and not until. Sin ought to be grieving you more than it used to. As you draw nigh unto God and He draws nigh unto you, there should be a deeper awareness of sin that Logan, as much as I love him, doesn't have yet. And you may be older than Logan, but be at a spiritual point where you're, you're just glad to be saved, and it's wonderful. Let me tell you something. When you, when you start aiming for more and longing for more, there's going to be a battle take place. So there is a law that confuses me. There is a law that confirms me. You say, Preacher Reigns, what does that mean? Listen to me. I'm glad there's a battle going on inside of me. Many of you and certainly others down through the years in Christian education and in church work would sit down and say, Preacher, my mind is tormented. Preacher, there is a war going on inside of me. I say, wonderful. And they go, wait a minute, you didn't hear me. I'm tormented. And I said, that is great. Because you're looking for answers, right? You're, You're... you know who troubles me as a pastor? It's people that are carnal and love it. It's people who have no victory, and that's their normal. Paul said, sin shall not have dominion over you. Brother John, the p- people who worry me are the ones whose sin has dominion over them. And you, you confront them with the Word of God, either in a preaching situation or if, if the Lord opens the door and they're receptive to it, a one-on-one situation. And, and they're like, I had a Bible teacher in college. He taught a, a powerful, heavy, one of the heaviest I've ever heard, a messages, lessons from First John on are you really born again? And at the end of that message, he said, he said now listen to me, young people. He said, my office phone will ring. This was before cell phones. He said, my office phone will ring off the hook for the next two weeks with young people wanting to sit down with me and get assurance of salvation 
Brother John, I'll remember it as long as I live. He said, I'm not worried about you. He said, he said, I'll sit down with you. I'll help you. I'll listen. I'll, I'll take you to the word. He said, I'm not worried about you. He said, you want to know who I'm worried about? And there were about 200 of, it was a lecture class. There's about 200 of us in there, Miss Betsy. And here's what he said. He said, you know who I'm worried about? He said, those of you who are going to get out, you're going to walk out those doors. You're going to shrug your shoulders and go, what was that all about? Here's what he said. I'm, oh my soul, that, that was 40 years ago. He said, you're going to walk out those doors, shrug your shoulders and go, I prayed the prayer. Why is he all worked up? He said, I'm worried about you. He said, the ones that are searching their heart and crying and, and studying the scriptures and, and, and running to God for answers, they're delighting in the law of God. He said, that, 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 that you're not going to, he said, I'll help you. He said, my heart will go out to you. He said, but those that shrug their shoulders and go, I, I prayed the prayer. He said, I'm very worried about you. He said, but I preached, he said, I taught, I preached, whatever. He said, the word to you, and I trust it and the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work that God did it to do. So, so number two, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, there's this, I want to do good, but I don't do good. And then the very next verse, he says, but I delight in the law of God. Very briefly, I've used it recently, but I feel like I, I just want to say it briefly. When Chris was going through that dark time years and years ago of doubt in her mind, she said what actually brought peace to her mind was when she went to her knees and the first word out of her uh, uh, mouth was Father. And she was, just, she was delighting in God and in that. She, she, she didn't run to the bottle. She didn't run to the pills. She didn't. She just poured her heart out to God. And he was like, yes, I am your father. So I want to ask you, what do you delight in? That's a law that confirms me. Now look at verse number 23. We're back in uh, Romans chapter 7, verse number 23. But I see another law in my members. When you see that word members, it's talking about the flesh, okay? He said, I see another law in my members. What is it doing? Warring against the law of my mind. Now stop there and drop to the last verse in the chapter and let's clarify something. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind... I, serve, I myself serve the law of God with the flesh, the law of sin. Okay, so go back to verse number 23. Look in the middle. Against the law of my mind. Because there's this ongoing battle, it's easy to read that phrase and go, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Because he, is, he clarifies it, he, he gives us commentary in verse number 25. The law of my mind is a good thing. I would use a Romans chapter 12 expression here. He's talking about my renewed mind. There's a law in my members, my flesh, warring against the law of my renewed mind. Now look at the last half of the verse. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members here's my members right here's the law of my mind my members are captive to sin 
I was born that way. When somebody uses I was born that way as an excuse for sin, don't argue with them. Say yes. And that's why we need to be born again. Their born that way issue yeah, and we um, we know how it get how it gets twisted to you know to justify sin. That's not y'all y'all know what I'm talking about. But when somebody wants to blame it on, I was born that way. Say absolutely, we were all born that way. How broken, lying, messed up. Some of us try to clean up and reform and all that. But let me tell you something. We got a sin nature. It's what's alive and well. Okay, so let's look at this third law. Look, it's a the word law is used so much in verse number twenty three that if we're not careful, uh, we get lost in the weeds. Listen to verse number twenty three. I see another law in my members which wars against the law of my mind, and this law in my members brings me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Okay. Let me tell you what, what I got out of that, I'm, I, and I believe it will help you. There's a law that takes me captive. There is a law that takes me captive. Not in this series, not in this Romans 6, 7, and 8 series, but three months ago, could be two, could be six. Can't keep up with time anymore. I, re, I reminded you of the Stockholm Syndrome. That was the bank... That was where robbers came in and took a whole bunch of people captive in Stockholm, Sweden. I feel like it was in the 60s. Could have been a little before, could have been a little bit after, could have been the early 70s. But they did it. And here's what they did. They catered in food. That's not normally what kidnappers do. But they brought them in food. If they needed a restroom, they made it to where they could get there and back. They, 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 they didn't do crude things with, with restroom needs. They gave them pallets and comfortable ways to rest. They were still captive, but they were fed and their basic needs were taken care of. And when the military literally came in and and set them all free, they interviewed them. And to a person, to a person, they all had positive things to say about their captors. And it was so earth-shattering, okay? They weren't, they weren't put in dark rooms. They weren't blindfolded and gagged and, and all of that. They thought they were being taken care of, but the ill intent of these captors was just as bad as if they had blindfolded them and gagged them and not met their basic needs. But they didn't realize it because they felt protected. Okay, so now look at the next to the last verse in the chapter. O wretched man that I am, please say the word when I stop, who shall Deliver me from the body of this death. Listen to your preacher and I'm going to close. You will not get deliverance until you recognize the ultimate goal of your captor. If those people had been sitting here, gagged, blindfolded, didn't know where they were, moved from location to location, I'm going to be soiled themselves those people would have been begging for deliverance. But they were feeding them. They were making them comfortable. 
and they didn't mind captivity. Don't we do it? Can I, can I be this blunt? David, y'all kill a hog every hog, H-A-W-G, every fall, right? You have one now? Okay. The, when, the last time you had one, he was in a pen. He was a captive. Did you take good care of him? Feed him? Water him? There were bad whatever, storms, whatever. Protected him, right? For what purpose? <laughs> Did anybody feel a witness right there? Yeah, yeah, we're like, why don't, I mean, the whole, really, the whole question is, why don't you have one right now, okay? I mean, are y'all with me? The devil will pin you up. See it all the time. Micah, people you love. And they're in the Satan's hog pen, fed, watered, and they think they're fine. No, he's taking you to the slaughterhouse. Now stop, I'm not, uh, no, let's get off. Of, our minds are all thinking about lost people we know and love, right? I'm, I'm going to preach, this, this passage is to save people. You're not going to walk in victory until you realize that the law of your members is taking you captive unto the law of sin. You say, Brother Rains, that can't happen to a saved man. You better ask Paul. You better ask David. Come on, church. You better ask others. Most, most of us know somebody who would give that testimony. Most of us have been there. I preached the other morning. I said, the devil wants your marriages. And, and it came out a little bit humorously. You might say, oh, my, my marriage is fine today. That is no guarantee that it will be this time tomorrow. That's as real as it can be, Seth. Again, I'm not trying to be a comedian. One of you is a morning person and the other one's a night owl. That is all the enemy needs to destroy your home. Because morning people are self-righteous. And they'll get on your nerves. Oh, yeah, they write songs about when the sun came up this morning, his mercies were new. I'm like, I don't know what time the sun comes up. I got an answer for you. Paul and Silas sang praises at midnight. <laughs> when was the last time you was in his word at midnight? I need a wit. Somebody help me. We laughing, but it's true. And that morning person will get on your last nerve tomorrow morning. And if you don't bite your tongue and be quiet and you just head on out to work, y'all ain't helping me. The devil could sow a seed of discord in any home in this church in the next 24 hours that grew and bore fruit that was your utter destruction. You say, Brother Ains, that's a pessimistic view. No, it's reality, and that's why you better stay on your knees and in the Word and in church. I'm serious. I am serious. And so what I want us to understand is the enemy, the flesh, the world, the devil, lump them all in one, 
however you want to put it, there is a law in your members that wants to take you captive and bring you down. And until you get over the Stockholm Syndrome and realize that just because he's feeding and clothing you and making you comfortable, do you remember the Bible saying there's pleasure in sin for a season? Why do people get involved in and you fill in the blank, whatever it is? What gets one family might not get the other. What gets one man might not get another. What gets one young person might not get another. But why do we get involved in any of it? Because the first time you do it, it's nice. As a bank auditor, 10 years, if you don't mind me saying so, I was a pretty good one. My Mayberry personality disarmed them. And then when I did my job, they didn't like it. I found that kind of fulfilling <laughs> in a very weird way. No, seriously, watch me now. That, here's what they told us, Mike, in training. They said, if somebody, if a teller takes $50 out of her drawer because she needs gas money, probably a lot of tellers needing gas money right now, okay? They said, if, they said, if she does it once, you'll never catch her. Truth of the matter was we weren't interested in $50 from tellers' cash drawers. But they said if a loan officer writes a bogus loan and he does it for, let's say, $10,000, he pockets the proceeds and, and, and falsifies the paperwork. They said if he does that once, you'll never find it. And here's what lost people told us in training. They said, but he'll never do it just once. Because when he pockets that money and thinks he got away with it, it's going to feel real nice. This, I'll one-up you. The first time they did it, it was usually for a very legitimate cause. They had taken in an invalid parent to take care of, and they were strapped for resources. A lot of times breakups of home would necessitate it. They'd, one of them would find themselves in great need, do something illegal to get the money. Oftentimes, they'd pay that first one back. But their mind was so captive that when they thought they got away with it, they couldn't help themselves, but they'd do it again. Y'all with me? Fill in the blanks, fill in the blanks, flirting, money, pride. I've got an article the other day somebody sent me. It said pride is one of the most damning sins because it feels so good. You're bragging on yourself. Well, guess who likes that? Yourself. (laughs) It, It just feels so good and you're like, well, I am all that. You're stroking your own ego. Look at the text, church. I want, you to, I want us to get some help. Look at verse number. Let me tell you what's going on in verse number 24. Paul is in utter despair. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Can I bring it closer to home than that? Are you 20 plus years later? Does your stomach still turn? If you stumble across a video of those people pitching themselves out of windows of the World Trade Center, does that nauseate you? Do you know what they're saying? Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? If I stay in here, I'm going to die. 
who shall deliver. That they're in utter despair. This good thing is for us as believers, we don't pitch ourselves to a certain death when we ask for deliverance. And he, he answers his own question. Look at the last verse. Look at the last verse, church. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus dying to sin on the cross was far more than just paying the penalty for your sin. He was ensuring your victory over sin. That's why I can sit down with any of you in a one-on-one setting, in a group setting, in a men's Bible study, in a teenage Sunday school class or to the church as a whole and say to you, sin shall not have dominion over you. Jesus took care of that on the cross. Amen. I beg you, learn through God's word, through the counsel of godly people to walk in victory. My Bible reading this morning was Daniel chapters 1, 2, and 3. The Hebrew boys. That's what we call them. The Bible said they were they 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 looked healthier after ten days. The Bible said in all the matters of the kingdom, they were ten times better than their than their peers. Are we living in a culture that is decaying and, and disintegrating before our very eyes? You know what the church you know what this world needs? Some Christians who stand up for Jesus and are ten times better than those around them. They say, what does that mean, then, Brother Ains? Does that mean in Bible knowledge? Does that mean Bible quiz? It will include that. You know what it means? It means your jobs. Billy, I'm right. I'm in the book. A Christian, a Christian ought to be ten times better than those lost people. You know when that will be most obvious? Somebody tell me. Monday morning. Or Cinco de Mayo. You didn't get drunk last night. You're not hung over. Your preacher went to a contemporary schedule and you get to rest this evening. Not really. I went old school. Yeah, we went back to 100 years ago when they came and stayed three or four hours and then went home under buggy. Drive a buggy next week, okay? No, we ought to be 10 times better in the morning. They ought to see a world of difference. 